welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Ooh, man, a little fired up today. A little fired up today. I'm glad you're here with us. I'm glad people are tuning in online. I'm going to tell you, um, we, we are, if, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, we've been in election season. You guys notice that? Anybody notice that? And uh, we've been in this little thing called the election. We called it the election infection. And, uh, and I'm just telling you, there's Red Sea moments in front of us right now. There's Red Sea moments in front of us right now. I was sharing with the first couple of services. Here we've got two parties warring right now, warring for control that is not of them, warring for control that's already Jesus's. Amen? And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, we're in this Red Sea moment right now. And the Red Sea moment that we're in is this. And I'll share kind of a little thing for, for, for just an example of where we were at. Four years ago, we decided to take a step of faith, and God called us out of a, kind of an old ministry thing we were in into something new. He called us in to be Reliance about four years ago. And it was a big step of faith. It was going to require some surrender and some sacrifice and letting go and laying things down. And we knew the Lord put that on our life, to step out of this thing and into something that he was calling us into. And so we, we made that commitment, we stepped out, and from that moment, we started negotiating, trying to get this thing all rolling, trying to get this thing called Reliance going, and here we are, trying to negotiate these things in man's ways, and every time, it felt like every step that we took, it was falling flat. And we got to a place where it was like, Lord, didn't you call us to surrender? Yes. Did we do it? Yes. Lord, didn't you call us to walk in obedience? Yes. Did we do it? Yes. Lord, then what is it that we're missing? Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. You're still trying to do it in your own way. You're still trying to negotiate it in your own way. You're still trying to make it in your own way. I want you to let go of all of it. All of it. And we're like, but Lord, D-Day's coming. The day that we've got to have everything in hand is coming. And in that moment, he goes, and that'll be your Red Sea moment. (laughs) So all these things fell apart, fell apart, fell apart. And the week that everything had to come together to present this thing so we could say, hey, we are Reliance Community Church, all of it fell apart. And it was in that moment, it was our Red Sea moment. The only way it was going to happen is if God moved. And along comes this guy strolling into the office. <laughs> and the office calls and says, um, hey, somebody's here to see you. Do you want to see them? And I was stressed. And I go, no. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody right now. And then I got a little conviction in my heart. And this guy was from a bank. We didn't call them. We didn't solicit them. We didn't ask for their name. I believe the Holy Spirit gave it to him. But he comes and says, hey, heard you guys need us to put some things together for you so you guys can become the ministry that you're supposed to become. We just wanna, we just wanna bless you guys. We love churches, we love ministries. We just wanna bless you with whatever you need, right? Here I was getting ready to turn this guy. I'm like, dude, I just don't have time today, right? And this guy comes rolling through and he says, man, we wanna bless you guys and we wanna help you guys. In that moment, on that D-Day, it wasn't our negotiation, it wasn't our strategies, it wasn't what we were trying to do. In that moment was a Red Sea moment where God had to move and it wasn't on us, amen? As a nation, we're in a Red Sea moment. We're asking God to move. And so this morning I was praying, I said, Lord, what do you... Like what, or this week, I was praying, I said, what, what do you want? What do you want, God, for your body today? 
post-election, still fire on both sides right now going on. What, what do you want? And he says, remind them. Remind them. And I was like, remind them of what? And I just felt like in my spirit, he goes, remind them that there is one king. One. Now listen, church. I want to tell you why this is so important. Whether or not your choice and I've shared this a couple weeks ago, whether or not you got your choice or you didn't get your choice, I'm here today that we're still contending. We're still contending that Jesus is Lord over all. Amen? Two months ago we were contending. Four months from now we're still going to be contending that Jesus is king and there's one king. I'm still continuing that we're contending that we're going to be a nation that's going after righteousness. I'm going to contend, and you're going to contend with us, that we're going to be a nation going after holiness and purity. We are still going to contend for life. And we're going to contend for a biblical worldview. And while I'm contending, and while you're contending, one thing will still remain. Life and death, hope and future, yesterday, today, and tomorrow are still in his hands. And we have one response. Our one response, we will worship, and we will pray, and we will get into his word, and we will live out our life like Jesus called us to live. That will be our response. Nothing has changed in our mission, nothing. In fact, if anything, this season has proven something, that the church could do a lot more praying. Amen? If anything, I'm talking with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm talking with other pastors and other churches where they're like, yeah, our prayer ministries have kind of waned a little bit. How's it been in this season? Oh, man, people are showing up like crazy. People are hitting their knees. House churches and and small group ministries and, and, and Bible studies, they're pouring in together. They're praying. If anything, God is using this pruning, purifying fire season to get the church back on our knees where we belong again, praying and trusting that the one true king reigns on high. And so, will you guys go on a little journey with me? A little journey with me of why we're here? A little journey of, of how we got to Jesus, okay? I just want to remind you, the Lord just remind them why we're here and how we got to Jesus. God called Abraham a long time ago, thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, what it's been, thousands of years ago, called Abraham, and through the time of Abraham into Moses, God begins to establish the nation of Israel. Brings them out of captivity, brings them out of slavery, puts them in the promised land. And the way in which they were ruled in those times is that God was king and then God appointed judges and prophets. And those judges and prophets are the ones that would speak the heart or the voice of God into the people. So God would download with them and they would speak it. But there was one king, it was God. That's all they did. They had judges that helped rule and they had prophets that helped rule. But there was one king and it was God. And in this time, something began to shift. And what shifted happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel was both a prophet and he was kind of a judge over the nation of Israel. And he, he was a, a man who was after God's heart, but he was getting older in his years. Scriptures, and so he begins to appoint his two sons as Israel's leaders. But as the scripture says in verse 3, his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. So when we think that governments are corrupt, this isn't a new thing. This was happening even in their time. 
So all the elders of Israel gathered together, verse 4, they came to Samuel and they said to him, you are old, thanks for that, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. Now this didn't bode well for Samuel because Samuel knew the heart of God was that God was king and no other. And now the people are crying out that they would have a king, a man, an earthly person that would somehow lead them better than God was leading them. And so in verse 6 it says, but when they said give us a king to lead us, it displeased Samuel. So he prayed to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. King, look at verse 8. Not you they're rejecting, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. Look at verse 8. As they have done. Man, the Lord just really pushed this on my heart. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so are they doing to you now. Let me just tell you what he just said. They're not rejecting me king all of a sudden because they don't like your sons. This started from the moment that I brought them out of slavery 400 years ago to the moment that I brought them through to the generation that had to die off for 40 years till they could enter the promised land. When I brought them into the promised land, when I established them and prospered them, all along this journey, they have never received me as king. They've liked me every now and again when I fed them. They've given me some props every now and again when I defeated armies for them. Every now and again they called out to me when they were in need, but I was never a king in their eyes. They have done from the day I have brought them out of Egypt until this day. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will do who will reign over them where he will claim all of his rights. And then right after that, the Lord begins to download to Samuel all the things this king is gonna do. You want a king? They're gonna take your land, they're gonna tax you, they're gonna put burdens on you, they're gonna put heavy, heavy burdens on you. They're gonna take and claim children and things like that for their work and they are going to come and it's gonna be harsh against you because this is what you asked for. And then he says, and here's what's gonna happen in verse 18. When that day comes, and you're crying out because you don't like the king that you asked for, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go out before us and to fight our battles. Hold up a second. You had a king that parted the Red Sea. You had a king that tore down the walls of Jericho with a shout and a trumpet blast. You had a king that allowed you to go up to armies that were 10 times your size and defeat them and most of the time and they killed each other. You have a king that established you. You had a king that blessed you. You had a king that was your defender. But now you're crying out for a human solution that's gonna fix your issues. So rather than God being your defender, and fighting your battles, and leading you into the promised land, and prospering you, and enlarging your territory, and blessing you, you think a human being is gonna do it. And your response is, give us a king like everyone else. 
And this is the thing that I love about God, and this is the thing that frustrates me sometimes. God honors our choices. God honors our, sometimes I wish God would say, no, you don't know what you're talking about, right? But God honors our choices, even though it wasn't going to be good for them. So the Lord leads Samuel to Saul, who's going on this journey. Saul becomes the first king. Saul, look, Saul ruled for a bit, good, and then Saul has his fall. Once man's approval, once people's approval over God's approval doesn't honor the Lord, so he gets replaced by David. David rules great. David's a friend of God. David has some great, the, the husband of, of Bathsheba still falters, still commits adultery, still has the, 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 the husband of, of Bathsheba killed. He, he commits, he still commits sin. He's not a perfect king by any means, but because of David's heart, the seed of Jesus will come from him. Then after David, then you got Solomon. One of the, the, the wisest man in, in the world, right? Outside of Jesus. And so here's Solomon, and yet Solomon falls. Solomon doesn't measure up. And then after Solomon, and they prospered in the years of Solomon. They did great. Israel's doing great in the years of Solomon. And then after Solomon, you have king after king after king after king after king. And the word says over and over and over, this one did evil, this one did evil, this one did evil, this one did evil. And every now and again sprinkled in there, there was a king that did some good in the eyes of the Lord. Then you get to Josiah. Had a word of Josiah spoken over us. Then you get to Josiah, and it says, and Josiah set his eyes on the Lord, and he took all of the things that were despised in the eyes of the Lord, took them out of the temples, tore them all down, and he pursued essentially the purity of who God was. Then you got another king, and another king, and another king, and you got these kings that continue to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And here's what we're seeing, them are saviors. Kings, uh, most of them do evil, a few of them do good, none of them are saviors. And that's what the people cried out for. So here we are. And in many ways, you could say we repeat these same mistakes. When we look for relief, many times we look for a solution that will simply never satisfy. I'm telling you, there has to be a shift. There's got to be a reversal of this. There's got to be a generation of people that rise up and we say, don't give us a king. We have one. His name's Jesus. Don't give us another leader. We have one. His name is Jesus. We, we cry out as a people saying, we want the one who's going to keep all of his promises. We want the one who's got our best interest in his heart, the one who will lay down his life for us. And there's only one who keeps all of his promises, and there's only one who laid his life down for us, and it's King Jesus. Amen? Now listen, church. We know this, 2 Corinthians 1.18. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, me, Silas, Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been Yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, spoken by us to the glory of God. So here you got through the lineage of David, God knows in Genesis that we're going to need a savior king. This isn't news to God. I never saw that coming. God's not up there going, I cannot believe that they think they need a king. I cannot, like he knows it all. He's sovereign over all. He knows in Genesis that the answer to the king that we're crying out for is Jesus. 
So he lets us taste these kings that'll never be a savior, that'll never measure up. He honors the choice. And then God is faithful to his covenant and his promise. And then he sings the king of kings in Jesus Christ. God's plan from the beginning would be that we need the savior king. And then listen to this. God took the choices of his people and he still caused his plan to come to fruition. God took the choices of his people and he still caused his plan to come to fruition, even though because of their choices, they went through some brutal times. Jesus would come, Jesus would establish his reign, and I want to remind you of what Isaiah 6-9 says of how Jesus would come. I'm going to read Isaiah 6-9, it's not even Christmas, amen? For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given, and the, but said government, government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of his what? His what? Government. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forevermore. Listen to this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal. God is more passionate than we are. Amen? God is more, has more zeal than, than, than we have. That we're not accomplishing this. God is going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. All of God's promises are what? Somebody say yes and amen. Yes and amen. And the government will be on his shoulders. He has given us then as believers a new government. Why now? Why Jesus? Because Jesus comes and he does something and he says something that's profound that we need to go back to. So we just went from the Isaiah 6, 9 Christmas message. Now let's go Easter, okay? John 18, Jesus is standing before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and he gets summoned over, and Pontius asks Jesus a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? I thought that was kind of funny. And he says, Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And then Jesus simply answers this. What is it that you have done? Here's Jesus' answer. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Church, my kingdom is not of this world. Left side, my kingdom is not of this world. Amen? Middle, my kingdom is not of this world. This is Jesus' answer. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The struggle for the Jews all the time, the struggle for them is that he would come in and he would dethrone the Romans. He would establish himself as the king over all. And because of that, Israel would prosper and reign over all nations except the fact that Jesus didn't come that way. Because Jesus had something eternal that he was doing, not temporary. He came to establish a new government, an eternal government. On his shoulders, a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom that was built on the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. That's why he prays, 
heaven down to earth. That's why he doesn't pray earth up to, he prays heaven down to earth. And so I'm praying today that we're acutely aware right now that we're not developing theologies simply based on the fact that this is how we think God should act. Because if we do, what happens, we may fall into what the Jews fell into where they're still waiting and looking for Messiah 2,000 years later until they come to the revelation that Jesus was him. Now let me say what this means for us. Just want to make sure you get this. This does not go praying and we're still interceding and we're saying, God, I don't care what the world says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? This does not negate the fact that we're not hitting our knees, praying and interceding and saying, God, at the end of the day, your king, you establish your rule. And so we have a responsibility then. So, so this is where we've journeyed to. This is why we need Jesus. And then what's our responsibility in this? It's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is our responsibility. Since we're surrounded then by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. Somebody say throw off. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the, marked, the, the race that's marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus. There are things that hinder us and there's sin that entangles us and sometimes we get caught up in the sin that entangles us and realize, don't realize, that we're running races that we were never supposed to run. There's one race for the believer. There's one run that we're a part of. It's the run that's marked out for us in Christ Jesus. Amen, church. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Nobody put Jesus on the cross. Nobody, he drug him kicking and screaming. Nobody forced him to lay his life down. Why he did it, it was the joy that was set before him. He made a choice so that you and I would worship a true king that brings us in to his internal kingdom and not some earthly king that we can fight over. The joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look, man, if you're in here today and you're weary and you're losing heart and we're living in fear and turmoil, or whatever it is, literally the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Bursts on planet Earth, radically loves like no one had ever seen love before, heals, moves, restores, miracles, 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 and here's how he was treated. He was lied about, spit on, eventually he was, he was cast down, eventually he was abandoned by his closest friends, he was eventually arrested, put on a cross, and crucified. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. And then in verse 28, skipping down, he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, because these cloud of witnesses are going, run your race, run your race, fix your eyes on Jesus, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us, somebody say, be thankful. Let us worship, be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What's this cloud of witnesses? <laughs> Hebrews 11, right before this, gives us this 
long lists of faithful men and women. Moses and Abraham and Elijah's and Rahab the prostitute who was faithful to God. Gives us this long list of men and women who were faithful, who were faithful, who were faithful. And it says in verse 13, most of them didn't see the promise in their lifetime, but they saw it from afar. And so there's this cloud of witnesses that are cheering you and I on. Run your race. Run the race that's set before you. Don't get sidetracked. You don't understand. No, 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 no. The enemy's trying to distract you. Don't let these these things hinder you. Don't get easily entangled up. Run your race, church. And they're crying out. You don't understand. We see it. We see it. We see it. We see it. We want you to be a part of it. Run your race. I think they're faithful men and women. I, I literally, as I was writing this, I thought of Pastor Kit over at New Life Covenant. <laughs> Passed on. He's with Jesus now. He's going, run your race. Don't get caught up in everything else. Run your race that's been marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Run your race. There's one king. Run your race. There's one king. All these men and women cheering us on today, don't lose hope, don't fade, don't lose hope, contend, contend, battle, fight, fight in prayer, fight in intercession, contend, contend, don't lose faith, King Jesus reigns. And he tells us in 14, Romans 14, then I'm done, promise, (laughs) maybe. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In church, right in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. L- listen, church, right now, the kingdom that we're in, I'm not talking earthly, I'm saying the kingdom that we're in right now, in our spirit, in Jesus, the kingdom we're in is righteousness. We will fight. We will fight. We will speak the truth. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Amen. We will fight for righteousness. We will fight for the things that displeases God's heart. So we don't want those. We want purity. We want the heart of God. We will fight for the truth of his word. We will say, this is it. This is the righteousness that we're after. Now, the beautiful thing, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But it's not a holiness we can produce. It's a holiness of Jesus Christ that's producing something in us. So we will say yes to righteousness. Yes to righteousness. That's what we want, Father. Peace. We will be people of peace. You know, you can be a person of peace and fight with the weapons of heaven. Prayer, intercession, worship, thanksgiving. You can be a person of peace and fight with the weapons of heaven. And then joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, all across the United States today, churches should be packed. We shouldn't mope, drop our heads down, lose hearts live in fear we should be a bunch and God is unraveling his plan that in this journey from Genesis all the way to Revelation God is unraveling his plan and it was never about a human king that was going to save us it was always about a God king who came for us so there's a cost to it there's a cost to it Your allegiance to King Jesus has a cost. The cost is a sacrifice of your life and a surrender of your life. And David experienced this in 2 Samuel 24. He had sinned against the Lord. He had done some things that were unpleasing to the Lord. He was disobedient. 
He had tried to operate in his own strength, and so he says, Lord, I'm gonna make a sacrifice to you. It's one of my favorite things that he does. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, David was gonna go out into a field and make a sacrifice, and the farmer of the field was like, no, just take it. Like, you just take my field, I'm gonna give it to you. And David says something profound that I've always loved in my life. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I'm gonna tell you, church, allegiance to King Jesus has a cost. Not everybody's gonna like your message. The world's not gonna like what you may call righteousness. The world's not gonna like maybe when you walk in peace. The world's not gonna like if you've got that supernatural joy. There's gonna be a cost to this thing. You may, you may see some division from it in your life, but our allegiance is to one. So I just wanna pray this over us today and then I promise we'll worship and you can be dismissed. Just in your hearts for just a moment, just confess this morning that he's the worthy king and that there's no other king but him would you confess in your hearts this morning that if he's the king and he's over all that your allegiance is to him and to him alone and would you confess in your hearts this morning that we're not going to get hindered and off track we're going to keep contending we're going to keep contending we're going to keep contending but what we're going to contend for is that king jesus reigns supreme Father God, in the name of Jesus, we declare you King of kings and Lord of lords. Your word says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord and King over all. And this morning I pray, Jesus, in this season that we've been in, God, in this season that we've been in, that we feel like it's still a Red Sea moment, that we're going to contend and intercede and pray that your righteousness will reign, that your purity will reign, God, that there would be joy in the Holy Spirit and peace in the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, as the church, that, Father, we would set our eyes on the race that you've marked out for us. There is a cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on right now. Keep going and finish strong. So, God, we pray that today, as men and women, we declare that our allegiance is to one. Our allegiance is to one, and that's you. You are king, you are lord, you are sovereign over all. God, may your plans prosper. May your plans fill the earth, God. There is no human solution to this thing. But there is a God solution. So will you come, Lord Jesus, and have your way? In your name we pray these things. Amen and amen. We got to stand. We're going to close out with this last song. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.